knowing that God is good. Open up your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to be teaching you about the good gospel. How many want the gospel today? Amen. We are in a time right now where I'm going to be preaching verse by verse through two different books of the Bible, one in the first service, which is the book of John, so check it out on the app, and then uh, here in the second service, the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is a part of a few other books that are named after cities. I always remember it as General Electric Power Company, GE. PC, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, General General Electric, Galatians, I had it right, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. There you go. So I seemed smart at first and then not smart when I couldn't remember it. Isn't that weird how your memory works sometimes? Go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Somebody say the gospel. I'm so happy to be with you here today because if it wasn't for the gospel, I wouldn't have anything to share with you. I noticed that some preachers, when they preach, they don't share the gospel. They just talk about themselves. I think that's a waste of time. How many think the gospel should be front and center? Amen. Even if we're not directly addressing the gospel in our sermons, I think we should definitely have the gospel like interwoven through the sermon. But today, we're actually going to deal with the subject of the gospel. Galatians chapter 1 verse 1, if you're there, somebody say, I'm there. Awesome. Thank you. Paul, an apostle sent from men, nor, excuse me, uh, Paul, an apostle sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, how many know this age is evil, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. Go on up to that chart there, please. I want to just give you an idea of Paul's life. You may not be able to see it right here, but on your phone or on the website, you'll be able to see it fine. We see that Paul was probably born right around the time of Jesus, 3 AD to uh, right around 0 AD. We don't know exactly, but probably right around the time of Jesus. So he's in similar age to Jesus. Uh, At the martyrdom of Stephen in the book of Acts chapter 7, Paul is there as a Jew that's part of the Jewish people personally. Persecuting Christians. And so there he is in Acts chapter 7. It actually says that those who stoned uh, Stephen laid their jackets before Paul's feet. That was a sign that he was in charge. Like, drop your jackets here, pick up stones, and kill this dude. But what happens is he gets boom shakalaka by the power of God in Acts chapter 9. How many have heard of that, the road to Damascus? He meets Jesus, the risen Lord and Savior. And let me just pause here and add some apologetic defense here to our Christian faith. Paul's testimony into Christianity gives us one of the greatest validations of Jesus Christ as a living figure and a resurrected Lord. Let me just share that for a little bit with you. When we look at the story of Paul, we see that he's a Jew among Jews. He is studying under a person that has a name. He doesn't just say, I studied under some Jewish leader. He says Gamaliel, Gamaliel I to be specific. And he begins to tell you what tribe he is from. This is all good history. This is not make-believe. This is not Clark Kent out there in somewhere Superman land, okay? Uh, Who's the guy that uh, is Spider-Man in that world? What's his name? This is not Peter Parker, okay? 
Paul is mentioning in real time, at the time of the events, who he is and where he is from. Paul's writings, believe it or not, actually predate the gospel writings. This will come in handy at another time, but just track with me. So Paul is early on an author of the New Testament. He's going to write three-fourths of it, but he's telling his story with the actual people you could go and check. If Gamaliel was still alive at that time, you could go check with him or at least the one who took his spot and who was around when Paul was a student. You could check the people who knew the tribe of Benjamin, and you could go ask, like, hey, is Paul from your tribe? This will help you when you're explaining the historicity of Jesus, because why would Paul, who was once a persecutor of Christians, have such a dramatic conversion experience and then begin to lay down his own prestige and become persecuted himself by the very Jews that he used to be chilling with unless he had met Jesus Christ. So in other words, what you say to the skeptic who says question everything, you say why? Because they want to question everything. It seems so smart. I just want to question everything. Why? Question their questioning. Isn't that kind of funny? Um, some of you are getting it, but that's okay. Other, otherwise, you can also say, in other words, you could say, well, if they say to you, well, I doubt Jesus. I doubt this. I doubt all this. What can you say back? I doubt your doubts. I'm doubting your doubts right now. I'm kind of doubting what you're doubting, really. Just right, right now for me, I'm doubting. I'm doubting your doubts. Question everything. Why? Okay. So now when you go back to questioning everything, which is okay, I guess, because we want to learn and we want to explore, and it's okay to have doubts as long as you're willing to resolve those doubts, okay? When we help them, we have to now ask them the question, I've given you the testimony of Paul. Explain Paul to me without the testimony of Jesus Christ. They can't. The attempts are poor, miserable failures, and they cannot put all of the events of Paul's life into the box. In other words, if you remember growing up as a child, there used to be like those little like um, little barrels or boxes, and they had little shapes cut out of them, and you would take the shapes of the little pieces of wood and put them in there. You guys remember doing that? And yet, there was like that triangle or that one that was a little bit hard for you. I don't know about, about you, but I had little stubby little fingers, and it was hard to hold the triangle. Like whatever, the trapezoid, like whatever that last one, like it became a little bit difficult, but eventually you got them all. How many got them all? Amen. You guys are awesome. And that was part of our first service. How many are glad to be living, to be conscious and conscious and to be alive? That's a whole nother discussion. But now understand this. When we're looking at the life of Paul, what do we have to fit in to that, that little bucket? What do we have to fit in? A dramatic conversion experience. So what they'll try to say is, oh, Paul had a seizure. Paul's riding on his animal. He has a seizure. He falls down. He looks at the sun. Okay, so then why does he stop becoming a Jew? Those of you who have suffered seizures before, did you stop and you know, change your entire religion based on a seizure? See that You see what they're trying to do? They're trying to take that shape that says, a man fell off his horse and said he saw a blinding light. Let's call that a seizure. But that doesn't fit into why does he stop being a Jew that day. So somebody else might say, well, he wants to become rich off Christianity. Okay, so let's try to put that in. He's going to become popular among Christians. Christians were being persecuted and killed. How do you explain a man who was already popular, well-to-do, the, the best education you could possibly have, why would he give that up to now being dropped down in a basket out of the side of the wall of a city for money and prestige? Does that fit in? 
It doesn't. So the world who comes to you doubting, doubt their doubts. The one that's coming to you questioning, ask them, why are you questioning? Why are you questioning the testimony of Paul? I have given you good evidence. The evidence that I've given you is Paul's personal testimony. And what I love now is that even agnostics, biblical scholars who are not Christians, have now begun to realize that over time, history has pointed to Paul having a conversion experience. You can look at Bart Ehrman's work on Paul. He believes that Paul legitimately believed he saw God and that a a seizure or something like that alone cannot explain Paul's dramatic conversion. He must have had a vision. He must have had an encounter with what he thought was Jesus. He must have had conversations with what he thought was Jesus. And those conversations, as he would say, would have to match, because this is where we now explain that the divinity of Christ, to match the teachings of the disciples who had been with him for three years. As we're about ready to read in the book of Galatians, as we learn about this region and these people, Paul is going to begin to put his gospel, the way he understands the story, on the line to the, to the judgment of others to see if he really had a conversion experience. In other words, he goes to Jerusalem at some point and he says, this is what Jesus told me that no one told me. What did he tell you guys? And they say back to him, uh, the same thing. And then this is what blows their minds is that he, because he was a scholar of the Old Testament, he understands it better than even Peter. He rebukes Peter and starts teaching him. Imagine how that must have settled in with Peter. The dude that once was killing us is now giving me a lesson in Christianity. You want to talk about God using somebody to humble you. God had already dealt with Peter and taught him what we're going to be learning here in Galatians. That was to accept the Gentiles into the Christian faith. But he went away from that and started treating them differently even after his encounter with his vision of a sheet of unclean animals that he was supposed to eat from in the vision, symbolizing why dietary laws were given to begin with. They were to show the separation of God's people from the nations. How many know generally nations, cultures have their own diets? That was the purpose of having their own diet. It's not like God didn't ever want us to eat shrimp. How many know shrimp is good? How many know lochon is good? Okay? God intended us to eat those things. Read about Noah. Noah ate those things. Okay? But what he was teaching us through the dietary laws is a separated culture, is a separated people group. That's why he didn't want them wearing certain clothes. How many know cultures have certain clothes? It wasn't that there was something wrong with mixing fabrics in and of itself. He was developing a culture. Well, back this up. Peter was given a revelation to accept the Gentiles into the Christian culture because Christian culture is greater than just Jewish culture. Christian culture is Christ in all cultures. Are you listening? He still has a promise for the Jewish people through that genealogy, but Christ's culture comes into every culture. How many are here today? You're not from Jewish culture, but Jesus is in your culture. Can I get an amen? And shalom aleichem to those who come from the Jewish culture. Now, going back to this understanding, he's rebuking Peter because he understands something that Peter was supposed to understand from a vision but is not living out. That's how bawling Paul is in his understanding that he has a dramatic conversion experience. He comes in personal contact with Jesus. He's able to understand the gospel to the point where they can confirm it and take his side when he rebukes Peter, which was one of Jesus' favorites. So in other words, when I meet a Catholic that loves to say Peter is the first pope, I say, you know, the Bible says we're not supposed to argue Peter versus Paul, but I'm with Paul and I rebuke your pope. 
Come on, can I hear an amen to that? I'm still here today with Paul rebuking your Pope. Pope, no, let's get with Jesus. He's the head of the church. Are you with me? But that just shows you Peter didn't have the authority that the Roman Catholics wanted to make him out to be. God actually chose Paul to have that kind of authority. Now, they were equal. They were first among equals. But now, listen, when I talk to people and they go, you know, but Peter was just a fisherman, and they, you know, these guys, they didn't know what they were doing, but they just knew Jesus, and that's the way I want to be. That's awesome, but who wrote three-fourths of the New Testament? A guy who went to school and understood multiple languages, okay? So how many are happy Paul's in the book? How many are happy God used Paul? Peter and Paul and James and John, they complement the body of Christ. They're not in competition. But when it came to setting things in order, when it came to understanding the fullness, Paul was at the top of his class, and yet he had once been a persecutor. Now, going to our text, Paul says he's an apostle. What does that mean? That means he's a sent out one. He is one that is sent out to go spread the message. Now, when you go to the book of Acts, which we don't have time to do, they wanted to fill in the missing position of Judas. And they bring up the psalm that talked about that his, his missing position should not be deserted. It should be filled in. Now, this is where the Bible scholars, they debate. Uh, between who was right here, and I like to say it like this because I, you know, I like to be a little sassy. Who was right, the disciples or Jesus? That's the way I like to say it because the disciples say, here's how we're going to fill in the missing position. We're going to go to casting lots. Let's do that. When was the last time you saw cast lots, uh, lots cast in a church? We don't do that as Christians, do we? That was a way for the Old Testament superstitious Jews to hopefully throw out a wing and a prayer to flip a coin and ask God to do something. They're like nervous. They're saying, hey, there's only 11 of us. God wants to fill the 12. Let's start casting lots. Okay, Matthias. Do we ever hear about Matthias in the book of Acts doing anything <laughs> amazing? I'm sure he did at some point. Praise God for Matthias. Once again, not putting him down to build up my favorite Paul. But hey, Who's the one that picked his 12th? I think Jesus did. Jesus said, you guys are casting lots, and I'm going to cast him to the ground and give him a vision. So it's my personal opinion, just my personal opinion based on scholarship, that when we get into the ruling and reigning of the kingdom of God, Paul is sitting on the 12th one. His name is on the foundation and so forth. If it's Matthias, I'm going to owe him an apology. I'm going to be like, Matthias, I am. Um, I wasn't very nice to you. Now that you're a judge ruling over the kingdom, your name's written right there. I see it. Just give your boy a pass right here. Be nice. Don't send me to a place I don't want to be, whatever, you know. But we're going to rule and reign with the disciples. How many believe that? I believe that's for real, for real. I mean, that's, that's uh, stuff that now we fantasize about, whether it's kind of going into Narnia or Lord of the Rings or into the Marvel Universe. There's always this understanding that the supernatural and the natural can coexist together. Uh, you look at, like, Thor's world. They call it science. I think we'll understand God's supernatural world in a very similar way. And so I believe that when the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, Paul's going to be that 12th apostle. Now, do I believe there are apostles outside of the 12, even if Paul doesn't fit into the 12? Or do we have a problem like all the 12 have to fit into the box of the 12 and because that's all there is? There's other apostles. There are other apostles. Go to Romans chapter 16. You'll see that there were couples that worked together as apostles. And so there are apostles, what we would call capital A apostles. These are the ones who were picked by Jesus to be the foundation stones of the church. And then there are little A apostles, those sent out to do the work of ministry. I think it's going to be around verse 7. Yeah, verse 7. Greet Andrew, Nicus, and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the what? 
the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. So here are these uh, apostles working together, and among the apostles, lower A, they're outstanding. Now going back to uh, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul is saying that he's an apostle. And let me just say this real quick, because sometimes people think that his name was changed from Saul to Paul, like how Peter had a name change. That's not true. Saul is the Latin name, or excuse me, Saul is the Hebrew name, and, and Paul is the Latin name. So he didn't have a name change, but he did have a, a, an experience with God. Now notice this. This is the sass of Paul. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Why do you think he's coming in hot like that? Why do you think he's putting it down right there? Hey, y'all, I'm not coming from a man, and I'm not coming from no men. I'm coming from God himself. Why do you think he's doing that? Because he's in the midst of a controversy right now. So let's go back up to the timeline. You can do your best to figure it out when you study. These are things that we as scholars go over and debate and discuss. The question is, is he writing this letter around 48 to 49 A.D. before the Council of Jerusalem, which we're going to talk about, which is a resolution to some of the problems he's dealing with, or is he dealing it after the Council of Jerusalem and these problems are still sticking around? You can make the argument either way, but I take what I believe is the simplest argument, and that is that it's happening before the Council of Jerusalem because, here it is, here's my one main point, by the time we get to the Council of, of Jerusalem, Paul is not rebuking Peter anymore. Peter and Paul are on the same side. How many just think that's awesome? Everybody go, oh, they were meant to be buds anyways. You know, that was always going to work out. We knew that. But Paul had to rebuke him, and that's what he's emphasizing in Galatians. He is not emphasizing the unity that him and Peter now have. Uh, Paul rebuked Peter. If I said that wrong, please forgive me. Peter was rebuked by Paul. He is talking about that like it's still hot and fresh, like, man, I just had to deal with him. And then he doesn't mention that they, on this, they were on the same team fighting for the same cause that James, not Peter, was in charge of at the Council of Jerusalem. James is the one who makes the final decision. That is the half-brother of Jesus. How many know you had to see somebody raised from the dead ascend to heaven if you're going to worship your half-brother and call him God in the flesh? That's what happened with James and Jude, the two epistles that were written by Jesus' half-brothers because we believe Mary had needs and Joseph had to meet those needs, okay? We don't believe you get married to somebody and remain celibate. The Bible says only, only do that in marriage for a time of fasting. So we believe Mary had children. Those are the brothers. They're named in the Bibles, uh, in the Bible, and their books are named. And so what we see here in Galatians is, uh, going back to verse 1, please, is that Paul is coming in hot. The world is against Paul. This is not in that time where if there's an issue, you can just get FaceTime your buddies and, and help, you know, get everybody on the same page. At this point, Paul is in conflict. And that's why I believe it's probably Paul's first letter. It is predating the Gospels. They have not even been, been laid out yet. For in God's sovereignty, sovereignty, they're going to come later. And Paul right now is one of the only ones that can explain to everybody the Gospel, the, the faith of the, of the message that Jesus is saying from the Old Testament and is starting to write the New Testament. How many think that's pretty awesome? Uh, you guys don't think that's pretty awesome? What do you think is more awesome? You think like a monster truck is more awesome? What do you think? Skateboarding's more awesome. Basketball's more awesome. Let's, let's, let's go to awesome again here, okay? Let's ask the awesome question. How many think it's pretty awesome that Paul is writing the first inspired New Testament book explaining what the gospel's about? Okay, amen. That's pretty awesome. We honor that. We honor the Word of God. So Paul is writing this inspired letter 
for us to now read and to understand it may not be written to us, but it's for us. It is being written to a group of people that more than likely he visited on one of his missionary journeys. Three major missionary journeys are mentioned in the book of Acts, and we think that he has visited them in the first, and then he revisits them in the second. We can't prove it because it doesn't tell us everywhere he goes, but it does mention the region, and I have those in the notes as well. So why is he coming in so hot? Because I believe he's in a, in a turmoil right now. He has probably just won people to the Lord from both Jew and Gentile backgrounds, and now they are starting to have home churches, and what's happening is either from within those new converts or from those who have gotten saved elsewhere, which was not in his ministry, is now in this ministry. So whether it's something organically happening within the very ones he has taught or if there is now an outside source, this is now going to be a problem. Let's just go to Galatians chapter 3. So you can just see how hot it's going to get in this letter. Now, a lot of times people say to me, you know, we're Christians. We don't debate. We just show people we love them. And I say, you have to do both. You have to show people you love them, and you have to call people fools every now and then. Are you listening? The Bible does that. Now, I know people will go, well, Jesus said, do not call anybody fool. Open up a new tab for me, please. Let's just put it out there. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 is going to say, don't be angry with your brother. Don't call him a fool. We're going to put it in context right now, okay? So scroll on down here. Let's go to the do not sin in your anger part. You're going to see anger as a heading. It's going to be right here, murder. Uh, sorry, it would be murder. And now he's talking about the sin of anger being the same of murder. Okay, so I'm going to tie this together real quick and show you Paul's not sinning when he calls people fools here. Okay, verse 22 of chapter 5, Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now go to Matthew chapter 23. How many believe Jesus doesn't, keep, keep that open, go to the next tab, please. Yeah, Matthew 23. How many believe Jesus doesn't contradict himself? Okay, so here he says at one point, don't call anybody a fool. Now he's going to begin to deal with Jewish leaders, and he's going to call them fools and a whole bunch of other things, okay? So just go ahead and scroll down a little bit. We're going to see where he calls them fools. Keep going. It's going to be right here towards the end. Um, right about here, he's calling them hypocrites, blind guides. Does anybody see where he calls them a fool? We might have just passed it. Okay, go back up. We passed it. We're going to see where Jesus calls these people Fools. How many believe Mr. T was on to something? I pity the fool. Okay, scroll up just a little bit. Right on the fly here. I really want you to see it. Go up one more time here. Everybody just put in fool into a word search, Matthew 23, if you can, to save us the time. Where is it? There it is. You blind. Why are you all getting quiet right now? Are you guys afraid to do this? Are you afraid you're going to go to hell? You can't say the words of Jesus? You can only say that Jesus loves you words. You can't say you blind fool words. What church did you guys show up to? Is this the first Presbyterian church, you guys? Did they switch the Metro Praise folks on me? Okay, verse 17, red letters, Jesus speaking. One, two, three, you blind fools. Okay, now what does that mean? Is he contradicting himself? He said in Matthew 5, don't call anybody a fool. The context matters. Context is king. 
You cannot, out of anger, rip, you know, just start ripping people apart, calling them names. But can you use names as a description of people when they are in sin to help them repent? Absolutely. And so I would say this as well with parents. You know, we're not supposed to use names uh, to our kids because we don't want to speak that negative behavior over them. But oftentimes we have to use those names to describe that behavior. Does everybody get what I'm saying right there? So you got to be careful as a parent, careful as a pastor, careful as a person that works on the job or goes around in the real world doing things. Just make sure if you're using those words, God has given you permission because they are filtered through the heart, filtered through the righteousness of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now going back to Galatians chapter 3, thank you, my brother. You foolish what? Boom. It got hot real quick up in there, didn't it? You foolish Galatians. I don't think Paul is rhetorically saying that. Like, he's just saying, like, you you know, you're kind of like fools. I'm just going to call you like, fool, what's up, fool? No, he's not doing that. He's pretty upset with them. As a matter of fact, he's actually going to curse in this book right here, okay? He's going to say some stuff that would make all of us blush if he said it the way we would understand it in our language. We're going to put it in PG so you don't get offended by Paul, but I don't believe when he speaks in the Greek, the words he starts speaking, I don't believe they're PG. I believe it would sound to us like a curse. And what is a curse word anyway? A curse is damning something that God has damned. And so you don't have permission to damn your thumb because you hit it with a hammer or to damn the hammer, okay? So you're not supposed to use this vocabulary flippantly. That's like taking the name of the Lord in vain. Does everybody get that? You stub your toe, you hit your finger with something, you say, God damn it. You are not here to damn things like that. You're not in charge. But are there things that God does damn? Are there things that God curses? Are there, are y'all listening to this preacher up here? Are there things God curses? Are there things that God damns? Yes. Are there things that God has a problem with? Yes. And can he love you and still call you a fool? He can. So, because like Mr. T, he pities a fool. So he says, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? In other words, who put a spell on you to make you this ignorant? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I want to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, the reason why we jumped ahead, and let's go back to the notes, please, Galatians chapter 1, is that's why I think he's coming in so hot. I don't think he has all the details. I don't think he can explain all what's going on. He does not know. He is in the dark on some things, and the Holy Spirit is using him in this letter to bring it out. And that's why he's starting off the letter. Hey, man, I'm your apostle, and I didn't come from a man or no men, and y'all crazy. You're foolish. I don't know who put a spell on you, but we're going to set it in order right now. Somebody say, that's my apostle. Amen. Amen. Like they say, fight like a girl too. Not masculine. Masculinity is not only for women, uh, for men. It's also for men. I love Deborah in the Bible. I love others. I do appreciate femininity in women and masculinity in men as, as a general term. But all of us can be that bold for Jesus Christ. Amen. There has to come a time where you know who you are, what you've been called to do, and what you are not. What he is saying right here is, this is what I am. I am sent by God to tell you these things. You don't have to believe it or not. That's up to you. He is not going to force it on you. This will not turn into Islam. This will not turn into Christianity via the sword. That's how Islam spread. That is not how Christianity spread in the first 300 years. Listen to me. He is saying, this is who I am, and this is who I'm not. And I believe everybody here needs to know those same things. And the application right here is, who are you? And what are you not? 
See, for me, I know I'm a pastor, and I know I'm not a man pleaser. So that fits in pretty, pretty simple with the context, right? But then when it comes to my parenting, I'm your parent. I'm not trying to win your friend's award for being the nicest parent. I'm your parent, right? I'm making the rules here in Jesus' name. I am an American citizen. I believe in America. Are you listening to me? I don't care about a mayor or a governor, what they do against the Constitution. They got a problem with me now, right? They got a problem with how I see freedom. I'll stand up for our freedom of speech. Are you listening to me? Because I'm American, amen? So you got to understand what you are and what you're not. I'm not a man pleaser. I'm not going to try to win approval of people. I'm not here to win a popularity contest. At the same time, I'm not, I don't want to be a jerk. I don't think Paul is a jerk. I don't think Paul is a shock jock, in other words. When Paul curses and he calls people fool, I don't believe he's doing it like Howard Stern and the next guest is going to be someone who shoots pornos. That's not his attitude. That's not his mindset. What his mindset is, is he's standing up for purity. He's standing up for God. He's standing up for the things of God, and it's worth being bold about. There are things in Christianity that you need to be bold about. This right here is a mess in that church, and he's willing to be bold about it. That's why I don't apologize for naming names when we have to talk about churches and pastors and leaders in our city that have caused messes because, listen, I'm not on Willow Creek's payroll. And when that dude called himself a pastor and touched women and then runs and hides, he's getting a rebuke from this pulpit. So you don't want me talking about your pastor? Then have your pastor stop touching women in Jesus' name. Amen? That's just the way it's going to be here. If I touch women, talk about me, praise God, other than my wife, amen, because I'm going to touch my wife. But if I touch someone that's not my wife, you talk about me and say, our pastor was a wicked man, he's a pervert, and if he doesn't repent, he's going to hell. I'm tired of this false uh, bravado where we protect the, the, the mega mess, the mega church, the mega mission here, whatever they want to call it, for the sake of these people's reputations, to hell with everyone's reputation. Amen? All I want is this. And if I'm not living by this, call me out on this. And what I don't like on the flip side of that is then when Christians are fighting over every little thing, you know, about how we see women in the ministry, we affirm the role of women in the ministry here. Amen? But let's say you don't. Okay, you don't. That's okay. You can have your women wearing a doily if you want, if that's what you want to do, okay? We're going to let our women dress casual and preach the Word of God. If you don't want a woman to cut her hair, wear makeup, put her hair in a bondage, and when she gets out of her bond, uh, in a bun, and she gets out, she gets out of bondage and shakes it out and praises God, that's all right. You go, you go ahead and do that. But I'm not here to start fights over those things. These are the fundamental things that I'm basing my life on. The word of God as it pertains to our morality. That's why I like when Jack Black makes a goofy Saturday Night Live type video where effeminate Jesus now eats shrimp and says now it's okay to be gay because he sees them as the same thing. He has no idea what our Bible is talking about. We're not flippantly choosing things in the Bible like, oh, hey, I want to eat shrimp now, so let's do away with the dietary law. Or, hey, I want to wear mixed fabrics, so let's do away with that. No, what we're understanding is that there's places in the Scriptures where God gave commands for a reason and for a season. He never said murder was okay. He doesn't change in the Old and New Testament. He doesn't ever say child molesting is okay. Does everybody get that? He doesn't say lying is okay. So the morals of God never change, but the way we live out our Christian culture or Jewish culture may be different from time to time. Are you guys listening? So if people don't understand that, we're going to help them to understand that. We'll help you to understand our Old Testament because we're not just picking and choosing, as some people think. We're actually listening to the master picker, the, the one who is like the foodie. You know like how you have like the foodie friend? How many have a foodie friend? Even you go out to McDonald's with them. I'm getting some notes of paprika here, getting some peppercorn. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ronald McDonald's been stepping it up. We get a little paprika, a little peppercorn here. Little, little notes of hickory in this double cheeseburger right here. What else? What else? You know, you know, you have foodie. Jesus is the law of God in person, and he is the law of God foodie. He knows what we're taking with us, what we're taking out. I'm following Jesus' lead. When Jesus said, we're not stoning the adulterous woman, when we're not stoning Cardi B and Miley Cyrus in the back parking lot, come on, let's make it personal, we're not going to stone Miley? Like, I'm following him with that. I'm not stoning people. Are you listening to me? But then when he says to her, go and sin no more, that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, stop tricking. I'm going to say, stop living unholy. Because some people are like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You just affirmed, you know, you just affirmed sex workers and all of that. He just, he won't, he's not stoning you, girl. He accepts you. You know, that's what they take out of the adulterous thing. You know, so let's just all be adulterous. Then nobody's getting stoned. But what does he say to her at the end? Go and sin no more. How many want to see Cardi B get saved? I'm not like talking about Kanye West crazy. You don't know if he's saved one day to the next. I'm talking like you want to see Cardi B get really saved. I'm not like talking about Justin Bieber saved where he sings a song about drugs and he sings a song about Jesus. I'm talking like how you saved. How many want to see Cardi get saved? How many want to see Miley Cyrus get saved? I'm tired of these people. They don't know their right hand from their left, man. They say they get saved, and then they sing about drugs. Now, well, they baby Christians. They a baby at 14 years old. It's one thing to have a baby. I've had babies. It's one thing to clean a diaper when you're three months old. How many don't want to clean your teenage daughter's diapers right now? Some of these people have been saying they're baby Christians for 10, 15 years. What's wrong with you? I was graduated from Bible college, start my own church within three years. Come on, somebody. I mean, I'm not saying I'm the standard. I'm just saying if God can do it in me, I was tore up from the floor up. I needed a checkup from the neck up. I was busted and disgusted. If God can do it in me, he can do it in Bieber. Amen. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor by a man. I didn't come from the Pope. I didn't come from a religious gathering. He already had that. He used to brag, I had a teacher. He would say, my teacher was Gamaliel. I have a group, the Pharisees. That's how he used to talk. Now he's talking straight from the authority. I'm coming by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's how he's coming. Now, right here, you meet some sassy people like, that's how I'm coming. I don't need a pastor. I'm coming straight from Jesus. You the 12th apostle then? You're the one getting holy scripture? This is what I hear from rebellious people in the 21st century. Well, Paul didn't need anybody, nor do I. I just read my Bible all by myself. Paul was given the Bible, ma'am. Were you given the Bible by direct revelation? No, you have a Bible now, therefore you need a Bible teacher. Are you guys listening to me? Bible teachers help us explain the Bible because we weren't given the Bible by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. So please don't get this rebellious, somewhat independent spirit where we think like, man, I'm American. Man, I can do this on my own. That's how it applies in the church. Listen, the church is not a democracy. How many know we're in a monarchy? How many know Jesus Christ is king? Hallelujah. So I want you to take him serious. I'm his ambassador, and you can be one too. And I'm here to be honest with you that we've got a lot of people in the 21st century. I just heard a pastor the other day basically say this kind of thing. Don't follow me. Just follow Jesus. I'm going to let you down. What do I say to you when people say that to you? Give him what he asked for. Stop following him. Stop sending him money. Stop watching his YouTube videos. 
Because he just said, don't follow me. All right, I'm going to stop following you. I'm going to delete you right now. We're supposed to say what Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm supposed to be a leader to you. None of this wishy-washy stuff where you can't find any leadership in me. I'm just as beautifully broken as you are. I looked at porn last week, too. Don't feel so bad. I feel like cheating on my wife. Let's all live beautifully broken together. That's not Christianity. Stop having people reduce Christianity to that. I follow men and women of God who lived 50, 60 years with the same woman, never went into heresy, never disqualified themselves from the ministry, and whenever they sinned, they were quick to repent, no habitual sin in their life. How many want to see me finish my race like that? And if you call me a liar, if you call me a liar, talk to my wife. Talk to my wife. I'm not a liar. My wife sees everything about me, my phone, my computer, my wife and I, even the church, we share the same Apple ID I'm not lying to you. I'm not saying I've been sinless, but since I've met Christ, I've sinned less, and I'm living holy. There doesn't need to be hypocrisy in our lives. I'm tired of the church watering down Christianity to the point where we look so much like the world, we can't change the world anymore. We have a cure for what makes the world sick. Are you listening? We've got the cure. It's Jesus Christ, and he changes lives. And if you humble yourself to apostles and to prophets, you will begin to get what they got. Go to Philippians chapter 4, please. When you do what they did, you will have what they had. God gave them to us as examples. So, yes, I follow an apostle. Some people say, oh, you follow that book? I got a lot of sass in me today. Is that okay? Watch the first service if you want more of, like, the philosophical deep Pastor Joe. This is the sassy Pastor Joe, okay? Go to the end of uh, Rejoice in the Lord. I believe it's verse 17. Listen to me, my friends. We have people all the time that contradict the scriptures of God, and they think that they're being like, like humble. Well, you guys follow a book written by men. What do we say to them? Where'd your math book come from? Your dog? Did your math book come from the angel Gabriel? Where'd your math book come from? Came from a man. Can people, come on, women, can I at least get an amen? Can a man be right sometimes? Can a man be right sometimes, ladies? Can I get an amen? I'm not saying they understand you. I'm not saying they always get you. I'm just asking, can a man get something right sometimes? So a man can be right sometimes. So what I read a book written by men? I don't read books written by dogs, do you? I don't read books written by angels. I read books written by men, yes. And the men that I'm reading about said they had encounters with God. And they laid down their lives for those encounters. At least you would have to take the, the suicidal maniac Islamic terrorist serious that he believed in some virgins after he did that. Would you not take him serious? You, you, would you call him a liar that he doesn't believe in that? I would say, sir, you have convinced me you believe in that demonic lie called Islam. The moment you took that plane into a building, how many would say you believe that that man believed something crazy about what he was going to experience? Like that's what he believed. Our disciples did not talk like that, though. They didn't say when we die, we get 70 virgins. They didn't say we're doing this so that we can become great conquerors and take over the known world. These people say we lay down our lives because Christ laid down his life for us. We saw him. We touched him. We watched him ascend to heaven. That's what we're dying for. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's what they died for. Now, if you want to come to them, you want to come to the apostles and say, I doubt them? I doubt your doubts. 
But every person will make a decision. I cannot give you more surety than their testimony. That is what we call faith. And it's not just religious faith. It's faith for everybody. You have faith if there was an Abraham Lincoln. You have faith on a lot of things you have not seen, touched, or heard. I have faith in these men's testimony. But I have more than just faith in Abraham Lincoln uh, as the kind of faith that people have in Abraham Lincoln because has Abraham Lincoln come and touched their heart, give them dreams and vision, and inspired them to live? That's what I have for Jesus. How many of you would say, I may not have touched him or held him physically, but I have held him, had him in my heart touch me and speak to me and has changed my life? Go around verse 17, please. Look at what Paul said. Philippians chapter 4. Uh, go down just a little bit more. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. It's going to be uh, Philippians chapter 4. must be up at the top. Sorry. There you go. Let's go here. Look at rejoice in the Lord always. Now look at verse, uh, go down a little bit more to verse 10. Uh, verse 9, rather. Look at it. Whatever you have learned. This is Paul talking. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. What are we supposed to do? Put it into practice, and then what will happen? And the God of peace will be with you. Let's go back to Galatians, please. I'm following Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle is still being attacked in this generation. Um, agnostics and, and atheists like Bart Ehrman say that he had hallucinations with maybe a, uh, a, a religious encounter that impacted his life, but there is no resurrected Jesus that he met. It's some type of hallucination. I don't think men's lives change just based on hallucinations like that. Maybe crazy people go from believing something to having a hallucination, urinating on themselves, calling themselves a king, riding on the L. But this man said he met Jesus and then started writing some of the deepest works we have ever known in human literature. The book of Romans is one of the greatest pieces of human literature, not just by us, by all people. Recognize the book of Romans. Some of Paul's sayings are some of the most powerful sayings that we have ever heard in the entire human race, even if you look from a non-religious standpoint. So how is this man hallucinating and being so easily changed from a religion that he was brought up in his entire life? It doesn't make sense. I believe in his testimony. Muslims will say he changed Christianity, that he was actually the one that saw a demon. We're going to hear that in just a moment about who's really seeing demons. It's your apostle, your prophet, my friend, that saw a demon, not mine. How do we know? Because ours came first and warned us about what you would say. My greatest argument against... My greatest arguments against Mormons and Muslims, which believe the same exact lie, that a spirit came and revealed something new in another book. Call it Joseph Smith, Book of Mormon. Call it uh, Muhammad and Islam. That lie is defeated here at around 46 AD. Islam started in the late 600s. That's 600 years later. Um, uh, Joseph Smith came in the 1800s. That is almost 1,800 years later. You guys are liars. Paul's still the apostle. Are you guys listening to me? Do not let people think or convince you Paul changed Christianity because Paul doesn't play their game. Paul is a true apostle. I stand for Paul in this generation. To my nice Jewish friends, though, they say Paul was a fanatic Jew that probably was deceived, like the Muslim would say, by a spirit, but he tries to pull together his Jewish concepts with pagan concepts. There is not one thing pagan about Paul. And this is what we do with our Jewish friends. And I'm teaching it uh, tomorrow in Bible college in our theology class. The triune nature of God only in the Old Testament. 
I will meet any Jewish rabbi, tie the entire New Testament behind my back, and pull out the Torah, the Netavim, the Ketavim. I will pull out the writings and spiritually spank them with the deity of Jesus Christ. I will. I will by God's grace. Why? Because our Jewish friends, as much as I love them, and we are the only ones that give a rip about them in this culture. How many know Christians still care about the Jewish people? When everybody, including your favorite singer and your favorite fashionista, has turned their back on Israel, how many know it's still the Christians that stand with them? But in love, we want to show our Jewish rabbi that Jesus didn't just poof, appear in the New Testament, and Paul start making him up because Paul was influenced by Greek paganism, that we needed a deified man. As a matter of fact, that would break God's word. God said, out of captivity, the Babylonian and the Assyrian one, he said, one thing will change about you for sure, and it will be a sign. You'll never be idolaters again. And how many know, since they have come out of those captivities, we're talking even in the time of Jesus to today, they have never, the people of the Jewish race, have never been idolaters again. Never. That was a promise God made to them. This spiritual spanking will rid you of being idolaters. How dare you now suggest that Paul became a Jewish idolater that would fall, be, uh, fall at the feet of a man and call him a god? to try to have a, comp a competitive uh, religion to the Zeus religion of Hercules, you know, that he's half man and half God, so forth and so on. No, what we see is that Paul is not an innovator. Paul is not a creator and changer of Christianity. Paul is a bona fide apostle. Not sent by men or by a man, but by Jesus Christ. And God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters are with me. How many know that's some, that's some strong language right here? And I got everybody with me. I don't know what y'all doing over there, but I got everybody with me right here. Be on the side of the, the church, amen? When the culture changes and then you look around, come on, let's just be honest. Because BLM got a lot of people like that. A lot of my friends were like, man, BLM, BLM, you know, Black Lives Matter. And then all of a sudden at that, at that uh, parade or at that riot they were at, guess who else showed up? Trans Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter. And then my friends were like, well, I don't know what I got myself into. Come on, you foolish American Christian, who bewitched you? You better check yourself before you wreck yourself because I'm with the brothers and sisters. Here in the church, we bring reconciliation. Here in the church, we don't need Oprah's help, amen? Nor do I need Fox News' help. They both need to come here and be reconciled to our God, amen? There's always a dog and a tail in every single movement, and it will never be the church being waved by a movement, do you understand? We wave every movement. We wave the abolition movement. We, we wave the, uh, the pro-life movement. It is based on the word of God. Amen? And so when you look at Paul, he says, man, the brothers and sisters are with me. Oftentimes in church, people talk about how they get these people to agree with them. Why is it none of the elders agree with them? Can I ask you that question? 
We have independent elders here, minded, independent-minded. They can make their own decisions. We have a tribunal that's made in this church anytime accusations come up. And we, by God's grace, pride ourselves that no elder will ever make a decision based on the fear of man. So that's what we promise to you, right? It has never been demonstrated to be, to be otherwise. So in other words, whatever issue you may have in this church, if it becomes something you cannot settle on your own, like Matthew 18 says, you try to do it with somebody on your own, you meet with them privately, you bring somebody else along, we bring the church. We bring the elders and deacons. We sit in that meeting with authority. And as I said, it's never been said of us. I mean, maybe you can find some hater out there somewhere, but I haven't heard it. We're in those meetings. Those elders were yes people. So in other words, I'm asking you a question seriously because it's something that Paul dealt with in that day. Why is it when people have issues and they say, well, I got this person on my thigh. I talked to this person over here and this person over here, they see it my way too. How come they don't talk to the elders? Because I for sure will call the police on anyone who touches you inappropriately. There is no cover up here. Send me to jail. Are you listening to me? So no one here gets a free pass. Uh, you've seen it in evangelical churches. You've seen it in Roman Catholic churches. You've seen it all over. Somehow pastors want to pimp behind the pulpit and be protected. Not here. So my question is, why is it people in the church, even a good church like ours, they will find people on their side, but they won't bring elders into that conversation? I would say to you, be very wary when someone has come to you about an issue they will not come to an elder about. That shows what they think about you. You are to them an oompa loompa. Are you listening? That's why I always say to them, oh, you got so-and-so on your side? Oh, and so? Oh, man, that's so amazing. How come you don't have elder? How come you don't have deacon? How come you don't have pastor? Because you're picking on those who are weak. You're picking on those who are easily influenced. This isn't the first time I've heard a complicated story. Are you listening? And so I love what Paul says here. The brothers and sisters, they're with me. I have God on my side. That's enough. But just to let you know, the church is with me here. We're about ready to set you in order, Galatia. That was the region. That was the area. We're about ready to find out what in the world you all are doing over there to the churches, plural, in Galatia. Now, before he ever calls them a fool, he says grace and peace. That's the way we come. Amen? Before we ever rebuke and show our strength in the word and our intoleration of evil and the things of God, we come in grace and peace. Caris and Irene in Greek, coming with the forgiveness, the love, the, the 70 times 7. That's what Paul is saying there. Now I'll forgive all of you. Let's just get it out and open because I want grace on your life. That's how I always talk with people when I'm in those kinds of meetings that somebody's probably going to get called a fool in, okay? Somebody's going to call some names here. We are going to deal with it depending on how hard-hearted they are. At some point, it's going to have to rubber meet the road. But here's what I always say. Let's open in prayer. Father, we ask you to come. Come on, elder. I got an amen from Sister Cynthia. Raise up your hand. We're going to do it, right? We're going to pray, Lord, bring grace, bring peace, Irene, tranquility from the storm. Cover us all in your mercy, O oh Lord. Let us all take heed when we think we stand, lest we fall. Let us restore in gentleness and meekness in Jesus' name. And everybody will say amen. But for some reason, every meeting after that does not go well. <laughs> Why? I just prayed grace and peace. I greeted everybody. I let them know I'm here to help, not to hurt, because of pride, because of all of our prides, all of the issues that we deal with as sinners being saved by grace. And if we're not using that grace, we revert to sinner ways of living, and God doesn't want us to live like that. So rebuke me if I'm not in the ways of grace. Can I hear an amen? So, oh, that pastor, he's so mean. No, rebuke me. 
I don't take being told the truth a mean thing. How many think the truth is a good thing? And if you do it in love and you do it from the perspective of love, and I've preached I don't know how many messages like this in love, why would I consider it the wrong thing? You see, I would have to have evidence that you have an ulterior motive if you've come to me with good uh, biblical um, reasoning to convict me of something. In, in other words, I should give you the benefit of the doubt if you're coming to me with Scripture. So let's say you saw me being angry with my wife in the parking lot, and you came to me as a, as a brother, a man in this church, and you said, hey, man, grace and peace. Man, I love you, Pastor. You're such a great guy. I just want to tell you that I really appreciate you, love you. But, man, I, I felt really convicted when I saw the way you talked to your wife. Why would I at that moment now assume, you're trying to take the church from me? I'm so insecure. Are you jealous of me? Like, why? Test me. Test your brother in this. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. Paul is not afraid to start calling out sin. He's going to curse. I'm going to save that for, for later. You, it's going to be the mystery that all the children are going to ask their parents, where did Paul cuss in the Bible, Mom? I want to know. And she's going to be like, I don't know. He's going to have to tell me. Try to find it. You can maybe look it up online. Somebody's probably already put it out there, but I'm going to show it to you. Um, but I want, to, I want to be tested in this. Come at me, bro. Come at me. Where did I ever give you the impression that I couldn't learn? Remember I rattled off all those testimonies? I haven't sinned and I, have, I mean, haven't been disqualified by my sin. I've been a pastor for over 20 years. You know, when I said all that, that was in congruence, in relationship with strong men and women of God that had my back at every turn, that, that cared about me because I am not an apostle receiving divine revelation. I am not Paul. I want to be like Paul, but I cannot tell you today I have met him with a blinding light and I'm writing down the Bible. I need help understanding the Bible. I need you to encourage me to understand the Bible. Is everybody tracking with me? And so if I'm saying that to you from that perspective, as we will soon see just from Paul, Paul's willing to even run it by the apostles. As much as he's coming in hot here, he's going to explain to them in just a few uh, verses that I even, even though I didn't have to, I still went. I even went to the disciples to see if I was saying the right thing. And they did tell me, hey, Paul, you're doing the right thing. He didn't need it because he had God telling him, telling him he was doing the right thing. But for his own sake, to not be in pride, to not think he was better than the other disciples. Like, man, I'm better than you guys. I'm more educated. God came to me personally. He, you know, he had to spend three years with you, but I got it in a few months. No, to avoid pride, Paul came to the disciples humbly and said, man, God has met with me. God has given me scripture. God has given me, he's going to call it revelation. And he says, I, I want you to check it out. And they did. But when he's writing here to the Galatians, he says, I want you to understand this. What I'm bringing to you has come from God. And this is where we can all relate to this. As good as, of a pastor as I want to be for you and set order in the church, I cannot be your thus says the Lord. The thus says the Lord only comes from the Lord. So the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So I believe there's a balance between being like, I don't need anybody, or I just do everything pastor says. There needs to be a balance right here where it says, I stand on God. I rest my, my, my trust on God's word alone. I am open to God speaking through others, but my foundation is God and God alone. Can I hear an amen? He says to these churches, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe next week I'll get into the God 
of, G, uh, of the God title being given to the Father and the Lord being given to Jesus. But both of these are terms of divinity. Sometimes uh, a Jehovah Witness or somebody will say, you see right here, he's God, the Father. God's the Father. Jesus is not God. You see how clear that is? Jesus is Lord. Like there's a Lord of the manor or like there's a master, a landlord. You know, Jesus tells parables and he talks about masters and lords, you know. That's what Jesus is. There's only one God, the Father. I have the scriptures there if you want to skip ahead because I'll take, by God's grace, this, this portion here next week. But Lord refers to Yahweh. Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God. Does everybody hear that? The Lord is thy God. The Lord thy God is one. God is one in being, one in substance, but three in persons. We are going to learn about that. So when he says the Father is God, that and Jesus is Lord, that does not mean that the Father is also not Lord. Because the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. So are you saying now the Father's not Lord? The Bible calls the Father Lord. And the same way that the Father can be Lord is the same way that Jesus can be God. And he will call him God in other passages of Scripture. But why he chooses that is because he wants everyone to see that title that they had given to God the Father in the times past of the Jewish faith, that that's still there. That hasn't changed, but the revelation of who Jesus is is included in that, but not a division of that. That's why he's using their two most famous terms, God and Lord, and he now puts one directly over the Father. That's where they were comfortable. That was their safe zone, but now he's teaching them that that term Lord that you only thought applied to the Father also applies to Jesus, and he's building up who they think, uh, building up who they need to know Jesus to be because he's also God. He's not just man. He's God in the flesh. He is their Lord. Amen? We'll take off from that next week by God's grace if we have the chance to. But I want you to see verse 4 as Vinny comes in closing. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. If it was evil 2,000 years ago, what are we going to call this? It really evil. Amen? Super duper evil. So it was evil then, it's evil now. According to the will of God our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Can somebody say amen? amen? As Vinny begins to come, I want you to think about this. Just stay, stay on that passage, please. Thank you. How does God rescue us through Jesus in an evil age? Ask that question uh, to yourself and then answer it. How does God rescue us from an evil age? How does he use Jesus to do that? Well, you might just say, well, he uses Jesus. Okay, how does he do that? Look at what it says. He gave us Jesus. I don't ever want that kind of language. Yeah, can you highlight it, please, brother? Thank you. He gave us himself. Get, uh, just highlight the first part, please. Who gave us himself. Who gave us himself. Don't let that pass you by. How are we rescued by Jesus? Are we rescued by Jesus like we're um, getting a fortune cookie from Buddha? You know, like Jesus just came down, he got enlightened, he glued, he, he, he glowed. I, I got a Bhagavad Gita given to me by a Hare Krishna because I spent some time with them evangelizing them. And I wanted to honor their traditions to understand it so I could preach the gospel to them. And they just love this book, like how we love the Bible. They love this book. They got colorful pictures in there. Krishna comes down, meets with Arjunan. Arjunan's about ready to have a battle. Krishna appears to him, starts doing a whole bunch of weird, freaky stuff I can't get into right now. And 
There it is. Krishna came to Arjunan. That's our story. That's just like your story. And then when you listen to the names, let's just play the name game, because a house sounds like a mouse. That means they're the same thing, right? So let's play the name game. Did everybody get that? Is a house a mouse because they sound the same? No, okay. So, so let's play the name game. Krishna, Christ. Oh, wow, they're the same. Look at that. And I said, story of Arjunan, where he comes down as a blue guy, multiple arms, different things, freaky stuff going on, says a lot of Proverbs and fortune cookies type stuff. Let me ask you a question. Does Krishna give himself for Arjunan? Does he allow Arjunan, instead of fighting the enemy of that battle, fight him? Kill him? Is that what happens? Is that what happens then? Bhagavad Gita, is that what goes down? Because that's what our Jesus did. And if you think for a moment, because your house sounds like a mouse, that Krishna sounds like Christ, and they both said love each other and be nice to people, you think that's the same thing? You have no idea what we're talking about then. Everything about Christianity and Christ is based on that cross. There is no thing like it in all of human history. There is nothing like it. Do not let YouTube zeitgeist movies made by teenagers passing gas, drinking Mountain Dew, watching the Da Vinci Code try to convince you of dying and rising gods is like Jesus. They are lying and they are not telling the truth. There is nothing like the story of Christ in human history. There is not one story like his story. Hercules' story is not like his story. Mithra's story is not like his story. As a matter of fact, when C.S. Lewis, Lewis said it, anyone who says it has never studied it. Working at Oxford as a professor of mythology, him and J.R.R. Tolkien talked about how all myths are a cheap copy of Jesus Christ and the truth. There is no story like Jesus. There is no person in history that was verified to walk among us, do miracles, and then yet not defeat us and let us prop him as a king, and yet let us kill and die and bury, raise There is no story like that. The miracle workers, they're made gurus. Go to India, they're still saying they're watching these miracles happen through these gurus today. They're, they're given the sashes, they're lifted up by beggars and poor people, march through cities, they're given gold. Indiana Jones is real, look it up. They found upwards of $2 billion worth of gold in a poor village in India. That's their gods, made out of flesh and lust and perversion. Our God. Jesus gave himself for us. He didn't give himself for the one who could be vegan, wear yoga pants, and do the crooked chicken. He did it for the one that was a high school dropout doing drugs, high on crystal meth, asking his mom to put him to a mental hospital. And Jesus says, you're in a perfect place for me to help you. That's who Jesus loves to help. Jesus doesn't go to the one and say, do all these religious deeds, pray five times a day, think about this fortune cookie, do this, and then I'll meet you halfway. He gives himself away. 
to sinners and those deceived by their own their own ideas to the point where they crucify him. And he says, from that point, I now forgive you. I don't want your forgiveness. I'm actually killing you. I don't believe in you. doesn't matter. Father, forgive them. Forgiveness was spread like a blanket over all of human history while our Savior was bleeding for us. He covered the entire human people. He said, I forgive you. Whether you want it or not, it's there now. He gave himself for our sins to rescue. Just get that in your heart today. Rescue. All of us here, I'm sure, would have a different reaction to being dropped in the middle of Lake Michigan right now without any boat or any life-saving device. All of us, I'm sure, would have different reactions. Some of the boys right here, we're good. We're having fun. We're like backstroking. We're like hanging out. We're swimming over to our wives. Hey, look at my hand. Look at my hand. Squirt, squirting them right from our hands. I do that. Anybody? Look at my hand. Look at my hand. Look at squirt right in the eye. I do that all the time. But hold on. How long are we out here for? My daughter's a good swimmer. She's getting tired now. Some of you who are bad swimmers, we lost you right when we put you in the water. Bloop, 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 bloop. Where did TJ go? Bloop, 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 bloop. TJ, I brought TJ on the boat one day and I saw him meet Jesus twice. That boy met Jesus, him and Will. You guys both met Jesus. Let's go tubing. That man met Jesus on that boat. Some of you, bloop, bloop, bloop. There they go. Okay. So that's the kind of example this is. Everybody tracking with me? We drop you out in the middle of Lake Michigan. No no life-saving device. No boat. Some of you drowning immediately. No connection to TJ and these awesome brothers. But we'll use that in our example of the ones we all know are wicked and sinful. And they need Jesus. You need Jesus. Okay, there they went. They needed Jesus. They failed. They couldn't get him, okay? But then you got, you got lifeguard Joe, right? You got, you know, you got some people here like, man, we can swim. I swim across lakes, small lakes, not Lake Michigan, but I swim across lakes for fun. I do that. You got lifeguard Joe. Man, I'm good. How many know Joe's going to start getting tired after a while? Might take a few hours. Might take a half a day. I'm going down. This is the way God looks at humanity. There will be different gradients of punishment. Sometimes we forget that. We only think there's gradients of reward. No, there are gradients of punishment. Some, some people's hell will be worse than other people's hell. That is true. They will drop differently than others. But everyone has sinned and has fallen. Everyone has drowned because of it. Are you listening? And you don't offer anything to God. Imagine if someone had a life jacket and could help you or help your loved one and they have all the money in the world so you're offering them money. No, I don't want it. Sexual pleasures, no, I don't want it. Let's say they had every single thing. The only thing that could possibly motivate them would be, do I care? That's it. Does my care and concern move me to act? And the Bible says, while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. When we go through the book of Galatians, somebody say, this is just the introduction. 
we are only like on what? The third verse right here? The fifth verse? When we go through the book of Galatians, I want you to see Paul sent by God to tell you that Jesus came to rescue you. That Jesus came to give himself for you. That's his message. And what you're going to see makes him upset is when people want to get in in the way of that message. It's actually not Paul trying to be religious and have everybody stop having fun and just, you know, you know, you know, go on top of a mountain and read the Bible every day. No, he's actually saying those who are causing problems are trying to get you to forget that Christ is the rescuer and you are the one being rescued. They're trying to make you think you do something. They're trying to make you think you earn something. And everything you put back onto that cross to try to earn your way, to try to earn your ability to be rescued, takes away from the love of that one who was there. Because the story is he does it out of his own love. He doesn't do it because of what you do, because of what I do. And so we ought not to mix into his grace our pathetic attempts to save ourselves. All that he wants back from us, as we're going to learn in Galatians, as it ends with one of the most powerful descriptions of life in the Spirit, all he wants from us is love, joy, peace, patience. He just wants us to let that Spirit flow in us and produce fruit. Just don't stop it. Just don't, it's like I talk to my kids when they plant something and then the next day they want to cut it down and then dissect it. Or, you know, like they catch an animal, they want to dissect the little frog instead of letting it grow. Or they want to cut down that little apple tree instead of letting it grow. Let it happen. Just don't mess it up. Let this thing go. It will grow. Is everybody tracking with me? God wants to put his spirit in us. Just don't mess it up. And you say, well, what if I do? Sometimes I sin. He'll still rescue you. But the point where he's taking this, this, this message for us to that next level is stop saying, you, don't ever get to the point where you don't think you need to be rescued. It's like God can forgive every sin except the ones we think we don't need to confess. God can deal with every issue we have except the ones we don't give him. Does everybody get that? And so let us look at the book of Galatians as God rescuing us, providing for us. And all we have to do is just let the fruit of the Spirit grow. Are you guys ready? Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus through the book of Galatians today. Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we ask you to give us grace and peace all over our lives today. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet as your Lord and Savior, just ask Jesus to be your Lord today, to give you grace and peace, to forgive you, to rescue you from this evil age. If you're already a Christian and you're dealing with sins, ask God to rescue you because he'll do it again. Father, right now we come to you asking you to rescue us, save us, deliver us from all evil. A few moments right now, and you can start to make your way up if that's for you, either a person wanting to be a Christian or someone wanting to rededicate their lives to the Lord. In just a few moments, we'll dismiss, but even if you want to come now, you can. Let's just keep praying. Those who are Christians, check your heart. Those who have never been a Christian, surrender to Jesus. There's an apostle who was sent to give you that message. And now for the rest of us, as those prayers are going forth to the Lord, let us now ask the Lord to use us to be a part of that rescue operation. If your heart is pure, begin to pray for God to use you. Savior, reach out. 